Okay, we're on there, Acts chapter 9, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse 23. And it says, and after that, many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. That's talking about Saul. Uh, but their laying awake was known of Saul, uh, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them in the coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Okay, so there's a little bit about Saul's amazing change of life, really, wasn't it, yeah? For, for years and years he'd been out there persecuting the Christians, out to get them, putting them in prison, um, and the whole of the Christian community would have been in fear of their lives, worried about this guy that was coming around to get them all the time. And his name would, of course, have been well known. He was Saul, of course. Uh, but he changed sides, didn't he? Amazingly. The Lord totally changed him around. And when he was converted um, on the road to Damascus there, he was blinded by that light that came down, taken to Damascus where he received the Holy Spirit. He was prayed for with it by a guy called Anais. And he received the Holy Ghost. And that is what changed that man's life, totally. He was completely going the wrong way, wasn't he? And yet God changed him around. He received the Holy Holy Ghost, and he received his sight as well. And he, therefore, joined the ranks of the Christians. And perhaps our own life was like that as well, wasn't it? Yeah, there we were, off on our own way of life there. And somebody told us about it, as uh, Dave was saying in his testimony today, and we were turned around, weren't we, and changed completely, and our lives became new. Perhaps we had our own ideas about God, but somebody bothered to tell us the correct way of doing it. And we changed. We received the Holy Ghost, and uh, away we went. And in fact, what we did, we made an escape. And I've called the title of the talk today, Escape to Victory, because we're going to look at a few escapes today and see what happened there. And Saul, his life was changed, his name was changed as well, because he came, became Paul. And the Bible tells us that straight away he went and preached Jesus Christ to everybody, much to the annoyance of the Jews, no doubt, because once upon a time he was on their side, and now he'd gone on to the opposition. And the Jews had lost a great servant that they had, a tireless worker for them. But his life was never, ever now going to be the same again. In fact, it was to change for very much the better. And now, instead of chasing people, He was going to be the person that was chased, wasn't he, yeah? Because his life was going to be one of being on the run. And uh, many, many Jews would have tried to get him, taken him to the chief priest, and to get him put in prison. The whole thing had been totally changed around there. But this was one, perhaps his first, of many great escapes that he was to make. And the disciples, as we just read there, let him down in a basket by night so that he could get out. And that was the only way that he could get out there. One of many escapes that Paul was to make in this new life that God had given him. The other day, um, myself and Lisa went to Oxford, which is a funny old place to go, isn't it, yeah? But whenever we go away, the first thing that I always think about when we go somewhere is Oxford. Now that reminds me of when we played Oxford and we drew 3-3 or whatever it was and uh, all these sort of things. That's what it conjures up in my mind and that they won the Speedway League this year. So there's lots of things to go and see in Oxford. That's what I was thinking anyway. And uh, whenever we go to somewhere, I look for the floodlights. I'm really boring, aren't I? But that's the sort of thing I do. 
I look for things that are interesting to see in Oxford. And yet Lisa looks at it on a completely different angle. And whenever we go anywhere, she tells me the history of things, because she loves history. And um, she tells me all these things. And most of it, sort of, I'm trying to, you know, see other things. And Lisa's showing me something else. And uh, a lot of it doesn't make sense to me. But she told me an interesting little story when we were in Oxford the other day um, about a, a war that took place in December 1142. Okay? I didn't know anything that happened in 1142. But there was a civil war going on in England at the time between Queen Maud and a guy called King Stephen. I've never heard of Queen Maud before, but King Stephen I've actually heard of. And it actually took place in Oxford Castle, which if you go to Oxford, isn't there anymore. It's been uh, totally wiped out. But it was a siege where Queen Maud was in Oxford Castle, and she was under siege from Stephen's people, and um, they were there for ages. They had no food, they had nothing. And uh, the idea was that if Stephen could capture this queen, then the war would be over. Um... But what she did, as the food ran out, she decided that she would make her escape with three other people. And what they did, they tied sheets together, and they actually got down through one of the uh, openings there, um, through a snowstorm that was going on, climbed out of a window, walked out uh, across a frozen moat, um, through Stephen's army as they were dressed in white robes, and nobody saw them. Two story, folks. And they got out. Now, she took a risk, she took an escape, didn't she, really? And she got out. She could have, anything could have happened to her. I mean, she was a queen of England at the time, or wanting to be queen of England at the time. And there she was, climbing out through a window in mid-December when it's freezing, to get through an army. Anything could have happened. She could have fallen out that window, the ice could have cracked. Um, she could have been spotted by Stephen's army. But she thought it was worth the risk to go through. And that's what she did. She risked her life to get out of that castle and to still keep fighting for the, the Kingdom of England at the time there. Not many queens would have done that, but she was determined that she was going to escape. And that's what she did. And a lot of people accuse us of being people that put our eggs in one basket. In other words, we, we come to Sunday meetings, we put our life totally for the Lord, don't we? And they get a little bit annoyed about that. But we've escaped, folks, haven't we? Because we've escaped the world. We've gone away from the things that the world do, with their Sunday roasts and things like that, the things we used to do before, and we've escaped from the world and everything else that goes with it there. And um, we upset our friends and our family there, but they fall out with us. But we never, I suppose, ever have to fear for our lives now, do we? In this year, 2001 or whatever we're in, uh, we didn't have to have a, a fear of our lives like Paul did, but we still made an escape. And things, are, I suppose, are dangerous as well for us today. But that Queen Maud, her goal, her aim, her quest, was to be the Queen of England. And that was all that mattered for her. That was the most thing she wanted. Nothing else mattered to her. What matters for us, folks, in this year? What's the most important thing in our lives? We've escaped. Let's make sure that we stay escaped from the things of the world. All the people said. A couple of pages over, Acts 27. And uh, pick it up in verse 40. This is uh, talking of a shipwreck. I haven't really got time to read the whole thing, so we'll just pick it up at the bottom. But Paul was involved in a, a vessel that was going down. It's about to be shipwrecked. But they, well, we'll read the rest of the story and see what happens. Uh, verse 40 says, And um, when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made towards shore. 
and falling into a place where two, the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the fore part stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken up with the violence of the waves. And the soldier's counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them uh, should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded them, uh, they that we could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. That's another one of Paul's amazing escapes. Not only him, but there was about 276 people on there, and every one of them got out alive. They all survived. And they all survived, really, because of Paul. Paul was on the ship, as he was uh, called Saul before, he was now called Paul. But Paul was on the ship, and God was looking after him. God was the one that was in charge of that ship, and because Paul was there, they made it to shore safely. And the Lord's going to look after us as well, folks. Some escapes that we know about, the Lord's kept us and, and guided us and looked after us. Times when we've had our backs to the wall, the 11th hour, all these sorts of things going around us. No way situations, no win situations, the impossible, the Lord does it. Loads of us, we've all got testimonies of that, haven't we? But how about the escapes that we don't know about? There must be loads and loads of those as well. Times when the Lord sorted something out that we don't even know about. A car or something when we're on one of our journeys and that and... The Lord looks after us in every situation. Why? Because we're his people and he loves us and looks after us there. And sometimes, like the people on that ship, we'll all get there. We'll all want to make it to shore. That's the most important thing. And it says there's some of them made it on boards and some of them on pieces of the ship, but they all escaped and they all made it. And that's how we are sometimes. We escape the world and the things that are going on in the world by the skin of our teeth. It's really that close, isn't it? Because the Bible talks about the righteous being scarcely saved, then where do the sinner and the ungodly appear? Well, folks, that's where we come in there, isn't it, yeah? Because we know the escape plans. We've seen them. We've seen the maps. We know what's going to happen in the end, and we know the way of escape, the way that the Lord's planned it. And we've become, really, part of that escape committee, haven't we, yeah? If you look in the old films of... Um, some of the war films there, and they have colditz on and things like that. They have the escape committee, don't they, yeah? And there's these uh, very Englishy guys that are uh, in charge of it, and they've got their plans and everything. Well, we are right in there with the Lord, because he's told us the way of escape there. And our job, really, is to tell other people to be part of God's plan. I'll tell you a little story now. This is um, one that I've probably told you before, actually, but it's one of my favourite I, I believe it's of a guy called Houdini, who was uh, a great escape artist, wasn't he? He used to uh, get people to tie him up and, and he'd go in a whole load of water and then suddenly come out with uh, um, his, his life, obviously, and um, the chains were all gone there. But he actually did some amazing things and, and he did a tightrope walk, which uh, is one of my favourite little ones he did, actually. It says, a, a crowd gazed in awe as a tightrope walker inched his way across Niagara Falls. That's a big drop, isn't it, Niagara Falls? Uh, and the people cheered when he accomplished the feat. And then he turned to a man and said, do you think I could carry someone across? And the man said to him, sure, I believe that. And he turned around to him and said, let's go then. <laughs> and the guy said to him quite sensibly as well, no thanks. <laughs> so the tightrope walker asked another man, what about you? Will you trust me? 
And the guy said, yes, I will. And the man climbed on his shoulders, and with the water roaring below them, they'd reached the other side. The guy's an idiot, isn't he? I don't know how he did that. But they did it. But it's a great little story there, isn't it? And it reminds me of two things there. Let's tell other people about God. Let's tell other people that they too can get across to the other side. That's important, isn't it, yeah? Bring other people with us. But secondly, let's trust the Lord, yeah? Let's trust the Lord like that guy trusted Houdini, whoever it was that went across uh, Niagara Falls there, that wherever the Lord takes you is going to be a safe place. Sometimes our life feels like we're on a tightrope, isn't it, yeah? And it sometimes feels like the only way is going down into the sea there. Things can get tricky, but God's in control. God's in charge all the time, all the people said. And above that, above all, stay in the Lord. Be sure of your salvation. When the Lord comes back on that last day, we don't want to be looking around for a piece of wood to get to safely to shore, do we? We want to make sure that we're those strong swimmers that can just go by when the Lord calls us there. We don't want to be looking around for bits of planks and bits of ship and that when the shipwreck comes. We want to make sure that we're there all the time. And of course, above all, don't risk your salvation above all. That's the most important thing. You've got salvation and you should hang on to it. Um, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have learnt, heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, sorry, a, a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard it? God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So let's take hold of, folks, the things that we have learned and the things that we've been taught by the Lord, by the Holy Ghost, lest at any time we should let those things slip and that we should fall away and forget exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because if we forget those things, then how on earth are we going to escape? That's basically what the Bible's telling us there. If we forget those things and the things the Lord has done for us, how he died for us and uh, how he's changed our lives, then that's it, isn't it, yeah? We've lost our way and we've lost the way to escape there. As so many people have done throughout time, we cannot forget and leave Jesus Christ because he's the uh, only way of escape. And uh, for us, of course, we've done it, folks, there we have. We've escaped the bondage of the world and we're free from everything, and we can't go back. There is no way back, or well, there shouldn't be a way back. Some people try, do try and find it sometimes there. But we don't fit into the things of the world anymore. Um, and if you ever remember those old films like Colditz and The Great Escape, most of the time the way they, they got out was um, by digging tunnels, wasn't it? I love those old films. Um, they're fantastic, aren't they? And uh, you see them in these really uh, little tight situations where they're uh, horrible, and they're digging tunnels under the campsite and out the other end there and they'd use bits of planks of wood from their beds and things like this to just to make a tunnel to get out so they, they did that but I suppose they had that that goal that aim that they had to get out and back home but wouldn't it be stupid if you made a tunnel and you got out and you got to freedom and then you suddenly thought to yourself ah oh, I think I'll go back again I'll go back through the tunnel and back into where the campsite was 
be absolutely ridiculous, wasn't it? But people do that sometimes. They go back into the world and they lose everything. And all that hard work that's been done by the Lord, how he died on the cross, is forgotten. I was watching um, Escape to Victory the other day. Have you ever seen that one, yeah? That's got um, Bobby Moore and Pele in that, their, their first acting roles in that. And uh, Michael Caine was uh, the, the football coach. I don't think he's ever played a game of football in his life, but he was the coach and he was in charge of it. And he actually said something uh, in the film which made me think, well, that's strange. Because the idea about it was they were going to play the Germans at uh, a football match in Paris or somewhere. And um, I think a lot of the, the British guys thought that they were using it as a propaganda thing. But uh, Michael Caine was all up for it and he had Pelé and Bobby Moore and he was going to win. And um, who played in goal? There was uh, got an American guy. Um, who was it? Sorry, I still did it. That's, yeah, that's right. Sylvester Stallone played in, in, in goal for them. And uh, I don't think he's ever played football in his life and that, but uh, he wanted to get out as well. But Michael Caine turned around um, when he was questioned about playing this game of football to the escape committee. And he, the, the, the match had sort of become more important and everything. And uh, he said, uh, we don't want to escape, really. We, we've done our bit in the war. We'll wait until the war ends. And that was what he said. And I thought, wow, that's a strange thing to say. But people in the world are a little bit like that as well, aren't they? They want to wait as well. They don't really want to escape. They want to stay with the people of the world. They want to put their hope and their trust in the world leaders to sort out all the problems of the world and leave it at that. And some of the people, they want to sit on the fence. They know that God's around. They know that he's done all these great things, but they're happy with their lives. And they say, we'll wait until all the troubles of the world are over. And, of course, it's not going to happen, is it? As we heard from uh, Pastor Warren today. But the Bible knows, and the Bible tells a different story there. The Bible knows the beginning from the end. And that's why we've got, and we know, that there's a way out. But don't ever let that slip, folks. Don't ever sell your salvation for anything that the world can offer you. Because it says there, how can you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Hold on to that. It's the most important thing you got. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not have you that you should be ignorant how that all your fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And all the children of Israel, there, Paul saying, started at the same point. They were all the same there. They all went through the Red Sea. They all escaped Egypt, just like we have as well. They all followed the cloud and they all drank of the rock, which of course was Jesus Christ, like we have as well there. But verse 5 is an interesting one there, because that's an example of the things of what not to do. I'm sure that's proper English there. But the things that we shouldn't do anyway there. And we, I suppose they all made excuses as to why they did these things, but there's no excuse to misbehave, all the people said. The temptations are probably all the same there. There's nothing new there, but God is faithful. And as long as we don't make excuses to justify ourselves and say, oh, I'm special, and I can do this, I can do that, then we're going to be okay there. Verse 12, 
Just going a little bit further there. It says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he understandeth, taketh heed, lest he fall. There uh, hath no temptation taken you, but such as common as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but uh, will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And in everything we do, in every situation, God is there. And every struggle and every uh, problem we come up to, God will find a way that will help us get through that out the other end and put us back on our feet again there. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. He can see beyond all things there and he will get us through. And that is a promise that the Lord has made there. That when temptation comes, call out on the Lord and the Lord will get you through that. He will make that way of escape. Whether you've got a uh, your job's become too difficult or your school's become too difficult or there's a situation with your family or friends or whatever there, the Lord will find a way out and find an escape route for you to take. And that, of course, is his promise. We're going to finish in uh, Mark chapter 15. Okay, Mark chapter 15, verse 34. This is some of the last moments of the, the Lord's life. And it says... And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabatha, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran uh, and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, uh, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. I think if you'd seen that, you'd have thought to yourself, whoops, I think we made a bit of a mistake here. But, uh, that's what happened there. And that's a, that's a strange victory, that one, isn't it, when you think about it? Because when you, you've told people the story of, of Jesus Christ and that, and you've taken it up to that point, most people would have seen that as a defeat, wouldn't they? There you are, Jesus Christ, who was the great leader, the great general, has now died. The person that was pointing the way forward and telling people uh, all about his father suddenly died and was crucified for something he didn't do. Surely that is the end. What else could there be? And that looked like defeat, didn't it, yeah? But in actual fact, that was only the beginning because this was where it was all to start from, wasn't it, yeah? Jesus Christ did the most amazing escape act that there has ever been throughout the whole of mankind. He rose from the dead. Death and grave could not hold him at all. And he became the resurrection, the greatest escape ever. Fantastic, eh, yeah? Jesus Christ had done the impossible. And by doing that, he'd opened the door up for everybody to come in. As uh, the veil of the temple was uh, rent in two there, everybody now had access to go right in to the holiest of holies talking about, of course, the Holy Ghost and everybody being able to receive that there. Anybody who wants to can now have access to come right in to where God is. And here we are now today, um, waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ, which, of course, isn't very long away there. The Bible tells us how close that is, and you can read it for yourself and follow next week's instalment of Pastor Warren's talk and find that it's even closer than you even dreamt of, yeah? But it's right there. Just the last few final prophecies 
to, to uh, be fulfilled. And just the last few people to come and make their way out of the tunnel and escape to freedom, to cross over the other, life, other side, to give up their old lives, to repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be fantastic if you could witness to and bring along the last person that was going to be saved? That'd be fantastic, wouldn't it, yeah? And one Sunday we'd have a baptism over here or something, and next thing it'll all be over. Great, eh? But throughout time, there's been amazing stories of people's escapes. And the Bible is absolutely full of them, isn't it? Children of Israel, how they escaped from Egypt. The Lord had his hand on that and got them out of it, yeah? Daniel, how about Daniel in the lion's den? Could have looked at that one tonight. That's an amazing one as well, isn't it, yeah? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they were put in the fiery furnace. And yet somehow, God got them out of them, out of it. And how about um, Isaac, when he was about to be sacrificed by Abraham, the Lord took it right to the last, last second before that little lamb was uh, found and was then offered up as a sacrifice. And of course, uh, Jesus Christ, the greatest ever one there, how he escaped death. But folks, there's more to come. We have the chance to partake in the greatest escape story ever. Because when Jesus Christ comes back, we've got the chance to go with him. Are you ready for that day, folks? That's what I'm saying today there. We've got the chance to rule over this earth for a thousand years and then go on forever and ever, eternity. And when we uh, get there, and we'll be able to tell our own little story of how we've had our great escape, won't we, yeah? Because the greatest escape ever is going to be when the saints come marching home. And uh, we'll all be able to tell that story. All the people said. And we'll leave it there.